Do you dream of being CEO of your own empire, running your own company, achieving your life's goals, yet wake up in a cold sweat next to last night's takeout leftovers and a pile of bus ticket stubs? You um, are not alone. Like many others, you are suffering from a classic case of caviar dreams, tuna fish budget. I'm Margaret Josephs. And I'm Lexi Barbuto. And every week, we'll be talking to influencers, trailblazers, disruptors, and risk takers who'll share their own journey to caviar dreams on a tuna fish budget. Side effects may include increased motivation, boundless happiness, and a fast track to success. Hello, caviar dreamers. Hi, caviar dreamers. So excited. We have an amazing guest today. Another podcast host slash she has her own, Kate Casey from Reality Life. She is going to surprise everyone. She is so deep, so fabulous, so interesting, and her life story is so great. I can't wait for everyone to listen. Yes, I was on her podcast. That's how I met her. She has amazing guests on constantly. People, you know, anybody in Unscripted, from The Bachelor to Housewives to people who are in production. Mm -hmm. I mean, she does, she's had authors on. She's so freaking interesting. Her life story is interesting, which... You know, a lot of people don't know about it. So she's going to tell us how she went from interning, you know, with Al Gore. At the White House. At the frickin' White House. Nonetheless. The Monica Lewinsky era. Mm. And to, you know, current times of, you know, interviewing all reality people. Unscripted uh, people. Unscripted people. You know, because we're people. <laughs> unscripted the unscripted people. peeps. The unscripted people of, of the world. Yeah, the unscripted peeps. Cheers to that. Having my coffee with my... Chocolate syrup. You know how I just want to put this. You going through the chocolate I just want to say this because this is indicative of what we will be talking about because she has a connection to Hershey's, which we will talk about. Oh yeah, I put Hershey's syrup. Good connect there. Yes, in my coffee. At the every rate, day. At the rate of nuts. I mean, we're going through a bottle every few days here. People. Yes, I go through the big bottle of Hershey's syrup a week. But it's surprisingly low in calories. Yeah. I well, it's not a such out. a low. I think one bottle. No, no, no. Maybe I go through a bottle well, it every didn't two it weeks. Didn't it work out like 45 calories per cup of coffee? No, no, no. It's 45 calories like a tablespoon, so maybe it's like 150 calories per cup of coffee. Less than a Starbucks. Less than a Starbucks. My fattening Starbucks. So it's not the worst, but I like my coffee very chocolatey. See, I don't like sweet coffee. That's not at all. Because I, mean, I like to have <laughs> the chocolate with the coffee. I mm-hmm. like the chocolate right there at the bottom. But I feel like this satisfies my sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. I need, to, I, I need to quit sugar. I've been really trying and it's not working. And last night I made homemade cannoli dip with chocolate chips and ate it with a spoon. What, what is in the cannoli dip? Because cannoli dip is mm. very good because you could dip a lot of things in cannoli dip. You don't have to dip cannolis. Strawberries. Cookies. Cookies. So you do ricotta cheese and then however much ricotta you use, let's say you use 16 ounces, mm-hmm. you use eight ounces of cream cheese. Two cups of um, like powdered sugar, confectioner sugar, confectioner sugar, and two cups. Two cups. <laughs> Holy shit, that's a lot of sugar. And vanilla essence, like a little touch of vanilla essence. And Better if- known as um, vanilla es- extract to oh, us Americans. Yes, I'm sorry, that would be the translation. And you beat it with the hand mixer. Beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it. You know, because God forbid you did it with your arm and you got some exercise. Yes, yes, yes. Calories. Then you throw in the chocolate chips, you beat it all around. And normal people would then dip things into it, but I just sat with a spoon in the plastic. Oh, that sounds like delicious. It sounds amazing. I love everything like and that. And then I got really guilty and I threw it in the garbage. And then like you Miranda ate it out of the garbage from Sex in the City. <gasps> I ate it out of the garbage. And then I got really disgusted and threw it out and walked the garbage down the hall. And then dug into it later. True life yeah. confessions. Oh my God. Horrible. Shame. Well, Shame. guess what? 
Kate, I think, was ready. To oh, thank God. Okay, okay. I know. Save, save, save from the embarrassing. I mean, I just want you to wait. I just want to say if the sun before she comes on. I've now had to start parting my hair to the side because my bangs are so long. And now I look bald over here. And my hair is very white. And I just want everyone to know I use um, purple shampoo. And I don't use anything expensive to keep these hair, this hair so white. I use shimmer lights. It looks good. And I use pink shampoo because now my hair is pink. And I like being platinum and white. I mean, you know, there's a shade of blonde that's not even blonde. It's white. And I, and I like it. It looks good. I mean, during COVID, what am I going to do? And I mean, my roots, but I mean, you know, not so big. Like it. It's probably like rock and roll. It is. Marlene says her pizza is oh, done. Oh, her pizza is done. People I don't know, Marlene. She's screaming in the kitchen. Okay. Working from home, people. Working from home. All right, Kate. Come on. Let's get her on. Let's get her on. Kate Casey, we are so excited to have you. The Diane Sawyer of reality TV. Right? I love seeing you guys look so cute today. Oh, thank you. Thank well, you. we showered. It takes me a long time yeah. to get ready during this time. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm not used to doing my own makeup and all my craziness. I don't believe that. You can do your own makeup. No, I do. I can do my own makeup, but I don't enjoy it. It's like the getting the ready, the putting on the lashes, the blowing out yeah. my hair, you know, all the bullshit. I don't, I don't, I don't wear any lashes. That's like above my pay grade and I can't do my own hair. So in quarantine, I just wear it back all the time. I look Amish. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You look good. You Thank look you. Very youthful. You're home with all your kids. So yeah. wait, so I just want to check in with you. How has it been going during quarantine? Staying home, homeschooling? Have you been in, has it been rough? Um, it like ebbs and flows. The hardest part is the homeschooling part. Oh my God, my Philly accent. Home. Um, it's been challenging because my kids are all two years apart. So they go eight, six, wait, no, 10, eight, six, four, and one. So the ones that are in the top grades, it's a lot of organizing um, their Zoom calls and they have to have scheduled meetings with their teachers and ensuring that they're going through all the slides and getting their work done. So it's, that's a little bit hard. It takes a little bit of mental gymnastics to figure that out. And then the fourth one is in preschool. So the quarantine is not helpful for a preschooler because they really need to be doing play-based activities and it's about the, um, the interaction with their friends. So you kind of have to be on, work on the fly because preschool teachers just cannot deal with remote learning or at least my experiences. So that's hard. And then to keep the one year old kind of entertained and then, and, and then I have a job. So it, that's yeah. a little bit hard. Plus my husband is home working too. So we could have, you know, five people on Wi-Fi at one time. So that, that's tricky. But then at the same time, I have a lot of empathy for people who have older kids because I think that that's probably much harder for the mentally for kids to kind of work through right now. If we have little kids, I mean, this, some of them won't even remember it. And the other ones I can keep them entertained. But I think if I were to have had like a 16 year old, that would require a lot more work just ensuring their mental health. So I'm grateful that my kids are little. And I hope I can like just move through this and it, they don't even remember. Yeah. I think I've done a lot of damage to my kids' mental health. My <laughs> stepkids came for only one week. I only had to homeschool for one week. 
Pensasea will not be a teacher anytime soon. Within three minutes, I made my daughter cry. She hid on the bed and it took a full day for her to talk to me again. I do not have the patience or empathy needed to be a teacher. Yes. I'm like really mean. I, 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 I really am. I mean, I was watching the last dance on ESPN about the Bulls and Michael Jordan. And the way they describe Michael Jordan, I'm like, that's pretty much me. I saw that. I was watching it about Dennis Rodman. I was watching Dennis Rodman. They're like, they're talking about Michael Jordan. They're like, you know what? He's kind of mean. He was really mean, but you know what? We won. We won. And I thought that's how my kids are going to talk about me. My husband always says they're they're not going to like you until maybe their wedding day, and they'll say something nice about you. But I'm like a non-Asian tiger mom. Like (laughs) you're going to go to a great school. So you can hate me now, but I just want you to look at me when you're 17 and say, thanks. I got into this incredible school (coughs) and I'm going to do really well in life. And you were mean as shit to me, but it's because you love me. And I think it's because my mom, I was, I think a smart kid. Yes. I want to get to that. Go ahead. Totally overwhelmed and did not sit down and do my homework with me. And I always have harbored this sort of resentment that I feel like I could have gone on to a better school and had better opportunities if I had had people who were helping me along the way. It's just not normal for a 10 year old to be expected to just figure everything out. You need to like kind of be their advocate. Uh, by the way, I feel like that's very similar. I had that. And not that I don't love Marge Singer, but I was, I always say I was raised by wolves, right? It's like yeah. I did, I did my own thing. So, but listen, you've done amazingly well for yourself. You interned for Al Gore. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. Like, how do you go from interning for Al Gore to being, you know, the Diane Sawyer of reality? Like there's a lot of in between there. And I think, you know, your podcast does amazingly well. It's so insightful. I've been on it. I love listening to it. And, and it, you know, and it is very talk show-ish, you know? Yeah, it is. And you're so good. So tell me like from Al Gore to now, I just want to, and there's a lot in between. So So what did you want to be and the steps along the way? So I was born and raised in suburban Philadelphia into a dysfunctional family. My mom had remarried somebody who did not really want us there. So, um, when I was in the fifth grade, my sister was sent off to boarding school. And when I was in ninth grade, I was also sent. And it was a school called the, it's called the Milton Hershey school. Milton Hershey, the chocolate magnet couldn't have children of his own. So he started a school. He started Hershey chocolate in 1900 and started a school in 1909. He used $60 million of his fortune and put into the school. He and his wife never had children of their own. And so he said to the New York times, um, in, I believe 1915, the, the, I don't have any heirs, so the orphaned boys of the United States of America are my legacy. So his wife passed away, and then he donated all of his fortune to a school called the Hershey Industrial School, and then it was later changed to the Milton Hershey School. In 1976, they changed the deed of trust to accept girls. So now the school owns 72% of the holding stock of Hershey Company, and so it, that encompasses not Hershey chocolate, Hershey medical center, Hershey merchandise, everything. It is now valued at $13 billion. Oh my God. So the school, the Hershey, Milton Hershey school takes kids from kindergarten through 12th grade, 1800 kids. 
and you have to establish financial and emotional need. So most of the children that I went to school with were orphaned or from single parent families. I qualified because I was a single parent child. My father gave no um, financial no financial support, support to, to my mother. And it was not a good home for me to be in because my stepfather was emotionally very abusive. So I went as a ninth grader. Many of my classmates had been there since elementary school. So would I you, did. Wait, I don't I, want to interrupt you, but would you go home on holidays? I would go home on holidays and sometimes during the, during the summer, but it was like a short couple of weeks. But the great thing about it was I went to school and I was finally around people who also had difficult childhoods and I didn't have to, I didn't feel such shame because they understood. And it also was very strict. So I had to do quite a bit of chores. We would wake up at 530 and do chores in the home, 16 wow. girls to a home. And we would do chores before school. We would have a breakfast and then do an after breakfast chore in the kitchen, like scour hopper, which was scouring the pots. And then we would go to school, come back, do another chore, do our schoolwork, have dinner, do an after chore for dinner, and then go to bed. And it, so it really taught me discipline, but it also really shifted my perspective. Although I had a mother who, despite staying married to a man who was abusive to, his, to her kids, was actually like a feminist. So I had already kind of grown up with this like social justice kind of mentality. And then I go to school with these kids who have names like, Zanabu and Taliba and Ododo Amasagi and, um, and Kevin and what, you know, just from the a perspective all over the world. My me, my roommate was Mimi Song from, um, North Korea. Rent. So you from rent. No, I feel like that's a thing. Yeah, Mimi Song, wasn't she a rent? Okay, I just, ahead. I just felt like, um, I had always thought like, I'm on an island. I'm like, my life is so difficult. And then you change perspective when you meet people who have like, my roommate, Lori Kirsch's parents were both died of cancer within six months of each other. So I realized at a, an early age that life is not easy and that um, I'm probably going to have to do a lot of stuff on my own. But I, I had a triumph of spirit that I learned really young and it propelled me as I began my professional career and in college because once I started college, I just knew and I still carry this today. Like if I want something done, I need to figure out how to do it myself. So I went to college and I, as a freshman, I met an alum of the school that I went to and he was the press secretary for Al Gore for this project called the reinventing government project, which was this project to reinvent the government and to get rid of government waste. It was incredible. So this man let me be his intern. So it was, a, I think one of the maybe the, old, the youngest White House intern, maybe, because it was a freshman and you're supposed to be a junior. And so he took me under his wing and I was going to events as a freshman and writing press releases and it was great. And then when I was a junior, I interned again for the press office. So I was the one in the morning who would go to the White House at like five o'clock in the morning and I would cut all the newspaper clips from around the country and put them into packets so that when President Clinton went into the Oval Office, there was a stack of clips that would go through all of the news stories relating to his, his um, administration. Wow. So I was like with the A oh badge, like dropping off the clips. And I would walk past this painting of President McKinley, who is I'm a descendant of. And it was just like super empowering. Like here I am, this kid from the wrong side of the door of opportunity, like at the White House. And the funny thing about it was that 
my internship ended in December and by January, the Monica Lewinsky story broke. So I had just been an intern and I was like, there's no way that that could have happened because I always felt like I was watched. And then just shows you the naivety of a college kid um, with almost like no sexual like understanding. Right. Um, and, and so that was like too thick, like it was a weird time to be there. So I got a degree in political science and I started working as, as a media consultant for law firms. And I really loved it because I had always dreamed of having a career where I could do, I had like pockets of things that interested me. I loved politics. So as an, a college uh, kid, I worked on a national campaign and congressional and senatorial campaigns. I loved the news. I loved athletics. So I got to play college sports and I loved comedy. So the first portion of my professional career, I'm working as a media consultant for law firms. It started out at a firm for, um, it was a, a media consulting firm for law firms, but many of the, the, the lawyers that we represented were former senators or members of um, somebody, people who had worked in politics who had gone back to law firms because a lot of them have legal degrees. So it was uh, representing them and figuring out ways to get them media coverage. And for that meant reading the news all day long and figuring out clever ways to get my clients who were lawyers in the news. So if I had a, a client who was an intellectual property attorney, I would figure out a way to convince somebody at New York Times or CNBC to either do a piece about the implications of a new policy and how that would affect intellectual property law. Or let's say I had, I had this one attorney, George Newhouse, I still remember him. Um, he was a white collar attorney and he wasn't very well known. And at the same time, that was when the Martha Stewart trial happened. So I figured out a way to kind of get him into the story and position him as a leading expert on white collar crime. So I would call, let's say, the reporter at Wall Street Journal and say, I've been reading your coverage of the Martha Stewart trial. And I was wondering if you'd be interested in talking to this really interesting attorney. He is in California and Los Angeles, and he can talk about the implications of um, this part of the case, or, or if she's found guilty, what this means for other business owners, and et cetera, et cetera. So I am a news junkie, so it was perfect for me because all I did all day long was read the news. So I'm filling that bucket. I did the political stuff, now I'm filling the, filling the journalism bucket. And I, it really helped me with my writing skills. It helped me with my interviewing skills because in turn, I had to interview my client to in order to be able to present them best to an to a, and a reporter yes to i'm interviewing reporter. the reporter because i'm asking them okay what do you need what kind of sources do you need and i became like a reporter's best friend because i'm helping them write their article um so i feel that bucket so then i have my first child and my husband's best friend says you really need to work on your comedy stuff because you've always wanted to do it. And I had started taking classes at the Groundlings Theater in Los no, Angeles. Wait, I just want to say, were you living in California at this time? Yeah, I moved, on the East Coast. I had moved to California by then in 2003 because I worked for a PR firm. Now, oh, in between that time, I got laid off of one of my first job, finally. Well, I say finally <laughs> because it was really meant to be. And that was my first lesson in everybody is expendable. Yes, I know Margaret I, and I talk about this all the time. No, everybody I don't care is, who you are. Yeah. Everybody's replaceable. Yeah, I don't want any replaceable. of these viewers, listeners yeah. to think no one's above it. I don't care how fabulous yeah. you are. 
in any industry, everybody's expendable. Anybody could be replaced. That was a huge lesson for me because I thought I was kicking ass and taking names and I kind of was, but it's not always up to you because sometimes the company, you know, what was happening was like, I felt like every year we would go on a retreat and then the next week people would be laid off and I'd be like, huh? And then that's what happened to me. We went on a cruise to the Bahamas and I was laid off a week later. It was so stupid, whatever. But it was a great learning lesson. So at that moment, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I started pounding the pavement. I contacted an old colleague. He had gone to another PR firm and he said, they said, we would love to have you, but you live in Virginia. So can you move to San Francisco or LA? And I said, I will move to LA because I had always harbored that dream in the back of my head to get into entertainment in some capacity. So I start working for them. I totally build up their business. I had a client that came to me and said, we love working with you. Um, would you be interested in going on your own? And I said, hell yeah. And I figured I don't have any overhead if I just work from home. So I took a global law firm as my own client and then I built my own firm and I represented major like global law firms and did their media consulting. So, you know, I've worked with some of the smartest people that you can imagine. That's, I mean, and the smartest people and then, you know, then the housewives, I mean, you know, <laughs> well, so um, by then I'd moved to California. Um, I met my husband. My husband owns a software company. He is, it, he's never been an employee. He's been an, a CEO his entire life, if you can only imagine it. And the funny story about us meeting is we meet on match.com and we're kind of talking, uh, you know, we have our first in, in person. No, it was over the phone or writing, writing. And he says to me, um, Oh, you do, you do media consulting for law firms. Um, I might have to grab the drug. I don't know why the drug is misbehaving, Kate. Wait, my so let me ask a superficial question in the meanwhile. Um, yeah. When you're at the Milton Hershey School, how much chocolate did they give you? Oh, we got a ton. Of, we got all, all the time. I think I was one of the first people to eat one of those, those candy bars. I don't remember what it's called anymore. It was like a, not a whatchamacallit bar, but some outrage, not outrageous, outrageous bar or something. There was like a new candy bar and I got to be one of the first people to eat it. But I don't like chocolate because my oh, mom, what? believe it or not, my mom, she's now a nurse. She went back to college uh, to get her um, master's at like 60 and now she's going for her PhD. That's but, impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I was growing up, she had a, a gourmet chocolate business. She made kids clothing and then she had a gourmet chocolate business. And I hated chocolate because it smelled like chocolate in my house all the time. Then I go to Milton Hershey School, the whole town smells like chocolate. So I actually don't even like chocolate. Oh, okay. I, I, I just, yeah, I had to ask that superficial question. I was like, oh my God, that would have been like my, that one part. Well, I always say it's kind of like if your mom eats spaghetti every night for dinner, you'd get sick of it. I kind of like, that's, yeah, I'm kind of over. I don't eat ice cream either. I don't really eat that much sugar, actually, if I think about it. Wow. Oh, that's right. I, I wish we had burned out. That's my okay. Is your mom still married, by the way? Yeah, she's still. No, he, he died okay. when I was in college, I think. He died during the Ides of March, which I found quite ironic. He was yes. a son of a bitch. He was a horrible person. All right. So that's a good thing. We, right. we unloaded him. It's fine. Yeah. And it, he, Certain he, deaths he are meant haunting, to happen. He was haunting my house for, or my mom's house for like a week. She kept waking up to hear him screaming in the hallway. And then she had to tell him, like, you got to move on. So listen, and she and her life improved drastically after yeah. that. I guess. 
No, I mean, listen, she became a nurse. She's gone for her PhD. Oh, yeah, yeah. My mom's brilliant. My parents are both really bright well, people. Brilliant. I, I didn't reconnect with my father because he kind of had walked away when I was like about two. And I met up with him when I was about 33. My sister tracked him down. So that's been a weird, wacky experience, too. He's very odd, but funny. He speaks with an Irish brogue, uh, but he's from Philadelphia. So that's kind of what I deal with. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's quite alarming. I, I guess that a, a big part of my drive for success is, um, well, I read a Harvard Business Review article many years ago that had said that your business sense of self is directly tied to your relationship with your father. So like my husband's father was like a mentor. So he really has like a mentor um, personality. He's not, he has that reputation. He's, he's very kind to his employees. He does think he goes out of his way to be very um, kind to them. I didn't have a dad and they compared that to like a Barack Obama. No, I'm not comparing myself to Barack Obama. I'm just saying that's a Me either. I didn't, grow, I didn't grow up with my actual dad either. So people like you and I, are work tirelessly because subconsciously we are trying to get the approval approval of someone that will never give us to give it to us. Is that really? We, I just, we, it's deep within our bones. Our, at a cellular level, we're seeking approval and it's never going to happen for us. So people like you and I tend to believe that we're at the bottom of the hill. It doesn't no matter how much money we have, how much accolades, we always feel like we've got a big mountain to climb. That's typical of people who don't have, who have an absent father. So a Lance Armstrong, a Bill Clinton. I'm, the article just went through people. Wow, I'm going to look for that article. So, so interesting. interesting. It was, yeah, it was really interesting. But like my husband cannot relate to that at all. He's like, oh, my dad was the greatest guy in the world. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that means. Like when people talk to me about their, like their great fathers, I'm like, it's like, it's like when you're watching Cirque du Soleil and you're like, what like for me it's like so I agree. your dad calls you and then he asks you how you're doing like what it's like it's so foreign to me um but then i married a great guy and he's like an awesome yeah. dad so well, listen you had, so you, you know it's interesting cuz you had a great picker right you mm-hmm. you still had a great picker you knew what you wanted in a husband you have a great marriage it was just your anniversary so the good thing is is just like your mother picked a horrible second husband and, yeah. and you, and you learn to do the right thing. Cause some people would yeah. pick a shitty husband. It's well, I also think that my life experience has always, uh, I've always had a really set, set, strong set of my values, but also I'm really good at setting boundaries. And I think that happens with, um, life experience coupled with self-actualization, um, that happens. I think I have, because of my life experience, I'm a deeply curious person and I have a tremendous amount of empathy while at the same time being very strong-willed. And so I don't like, I can look at somebody and listen to their crazy story. And I often find people who like to unload on me with their crazy stories, but I can compartmentalize (laughs) like this has to do with you and not with me. Um, but I, I think it's important to know where someone begins their story and to have a little bit of empathy. It's, it, you have an easier time understanding somebody if you take the time to know where their story began. 
I think you're absolutely right. No, but it's, it's so great because, you know, I always say same thing. Like I love Marge Singer, right? We always say, yes. we always come from different, but I always say I could have been a stripper or a drug addict. You too, right? It's just. Yeah. <laughs> My therapist is like, why weren't you a stripper or a drug dealer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always, you know, I always say the same thing and I love Marge Singer and she's done such a turnaround. And I always say we raised each other and, but you know, things happen. So, okay. Fast forward. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your fabulous podcast and, and how it, how it became. Like, tell me how you got That's- into this. Because it is, it is so great. You have on so many amazing guests. I do. Yeah. So, um, I, I started having kids. My best, my husband's best friend says you got to get into entertainment. And And I I just want to tell everybody, if you don't know, Kate Casey has five kids. She calls herself the baby hoarder, which is, and they're they're the most gorgeous children alive. Like model picture, perfect children. I mean, there's things in America. Cute. Thank you. Um, so I started writing when I had kids and it be, turned into a book and a lot, I had a lot of women that followed me just because I was sort of like irreverent about motherhood and kind of navigating that. And then it, I, I started writing television recaps of real housewives, but it was like fan fiction, like adding conversations that didn't really happen. And I got like a big following. And then I started being invited to go on a podcast to talk about what I thought about not just Housewives, but reality television. And then I thought, you know, there's something here. I could do a show because I love to interview people and I'm fascinated by reality television shows. So what if I went back and I found people that were on reality shows years ago and followed up with them? Like, how did it change your life? What did you learn in the process? So I started going back and interviewing like Eric Nice from this first season of Real World. And, um, so I pitched the show on my own and then I got a show and then I just started doing it. And, and so it's been four years now and it's sort of shifted that I really cover everybody under the umbrella of what is called unscripted television. So that's reality shows, docu-series and documentaries. And it usually, it changes week to week. Well, I have two episodes a week now, but I, on one episode, I could be interviewing someone on The Bachelor or The Real Housewives. And then the next episode, I'm interviewing the person that created a show or the director of the Michael Jackson uh, accusers uh, documentary, Leaving Neverland. Or like tomorrow, I'm interviewing the biographer of um, the Michael Jordan biographer, by the author of Michael Jordan's biography about The Last Dance on ESPN, which is about the Bulls championship season. So it's always different, but it's always under reality television. And I consider myself like a talk show host. And I really feel like the, the most important thing that I can do is to take a reality star and make them seem less one dimensional and try and listen to their life story and understand where they're coming from. So that when people watch the show, they start to rethink how they judge somebody because maybe if you know all the things that happened to them before they went on the show, then you have more empathy and you have more understanding and you might even feel more connected to them. Tell have me. more respect for them. Yeah. I have a um, few questions there. Let me just, who has been a big, uh, t- I have a few questions here. Who has been a big surprise? Who have you liked more since you've interviewed them? Like who has been a big shock? Like who, who are you much more empathetic to? Who do you have much more love for since you've interviewed them? Like you've changed your opinion of them. Okay. Um, More love for them. Mike, the situation from Jersey Shore. I thought he would be a total cheese bag. So narcissistic guy. And he turned out to be incredibly empathetic, very kind, and very introspective because he had been off television for a while. So he said things like, I was on drugs. 
I was a horrible person. I made bad choices. I feel oh. terrible about them. Why did I have my brother handling my taxes? Like, what was I thinking? I just want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to be on television, but come, come onto TV as somebody who's totally sober and centered. So that was impressive to me. John Gosling was very impressive to me because I thought really? Kate I Gosling's thought, husband. Yeah, I, I thought she's this bitchy. Guy, I she's bitchy. I I'd never interviewed her because I think she's probably a horrible person. But I thought I it seemed like he had worked hard to have a life that was separate from television. So I circled back with him, and actually had gone to boarding school right in the place where he had gone to high school. So we had a connection and I found him to be actually quite a great father. And he said, yeah, and people make fun of me because I do sometimes DJ at Applebee's or whatever, but you know what? I'm doing those jobs because they're jobs that don't require my children being on camera. And I want my children to look back and say, thank you for getting a job that didn't require me being exposed. And I needed to get off television and have a private life because it's what my children deserved. And I don't think that it's normal for a child anymore to be on TV. And I was just like, wow, I didn't expect that. So people like that, um, I'm often, um, there was one person that I interviewed. I don't typically interview authors, but I read a book called um, The Last Plane in the Sky. It was an oral history of 9-11. And I had a close connection to 9-11. So I tracked down the author and it was one of my favorite interviews because we talked about this, all this research he'd put into a book that had outlined the entire day of 9-11 mm -hmm. and the perspective of all the different people, people who were in the Pentagon, who worked in air traffic control, who were in the buildings, who had loved ones. And I think that's probably one of the episodes that I got the most feedback from. I just really want people to all feel realize that we're all more connected than we are, that they think than, than they think that we are. Um, there's a common thread to all of us. We're all people that want to connect with people in our communities to feel like we're living the best version of ourselves, that what we do is meaningful and that, uh, you know, we have respect and love of the people around us. And, and I love unscripted television because it's cracking open a world that a lot of people aren't open to. So, you know, maybe the Shaws of Sunset on the, when you read about it, you're like, it's a group of people that um, are, their parents were fled from Iran. They live yes. in Los Angeles and they have opulent lifestyles. At first you're like, huh? But then the more you get to know it, you're like, okay, well, somebody in, like in the middle of nowhere may have never seen somebody from Iran. And now they know about the Persian New Year and what they eat and that they actually want the same things I do, which is a loving marriage or strong friendships or safety and comfort. And, and so I like to highlight the shows that I think are most compelling that maybe help us turn our, you know, shift our perspective on people who don't live like us or look like us because I went to a boarding school at ninth grade and I lived with kids who came from all kinds of um, disastrous situations. I lived with kids who lived in the inner city whose one parent was in jail and you know what? They're like my sisters. So I just think the more you get to know about somebody and the more empathy you have and the more you feel connectedness. I, you know, mm -hmm. I always say reality TV is very much a study in sociology. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when I first got on the show, I'm like, this shit has to be scripted that no one's having a fight like this. No one are. And it's really, it is unscripted for sure. 
and a lot of issues come up. And so many people write to me about so many things about my marriage, about my relationships, about the kids, not, you know, two, the ki two out of the six, because everybody doesn't realize how many there are, um, because I keep stuff private, you know, not speaking to me or, or how did I have the courage to leave? You know, it is so interesting how, you know, so many people can relate to so many different areas of someone's life. And that's, and that's what makes me happy that I've done it and I'm doing it and, and keeps me going because listen, you deal with a lot of nonsense also, but it is, it is so interesting. Now, the next question, who did you used to like? And then you interviewed them. And you're like, what a douchebag. I interviewed this one girl from, <laughs> I interviewed this one girl from the Hills. You know, that stupid show. Yes. I was interviewing her and halfway through the interview, she said, I'm sorry, when is this going to end? what yeah i was like you're a bitch you're a total like that's so unprofessional wow. and i took didn't include it in the episode and i struggled with that so i just thought do i include this but i'm like i don't want someone disrespecting me on my show you know i've done the research on you i've spent the time to ask thoughtful questions i'm giving you a platform the least you could do is give me some respect um and so that was a problem. I had a guy who was on The Bachelor. I mean, he was like eliminated, like he was like number three, right? And he, I interviewed him and he said that he had his MBA and that because of the show, he was flooded with offers from companies seeking for him to be a CEO because they were so impressed with him. I'm like, my husband's a CEO. CEOs work seven days a week. You have no idea what you're talking about. CEOs don't go on a television show. Okay? Yes. <laughs> yeah. two months, okay? You have no idea what you're talking about. So, I mean, people don't really get past the smell meter on me. I'm pretty scrupulous. Um, but I find that the most compelling people are usually the people that create the shows. Like, I, I love the interview I did with the person who created Joe Millionaire and how they came up with the idea and how, what it was like creating the show and filming the show and years later what they think the legacy of the show is and i think people would be surprised to know that the people behind the camera are some of the most interesting people in unscripted television i absolutely I agree. agree the way i feel about my crew mm -hmm. when they leave i'm crying my eyes out they're interesting they're smart they're well educated deep, they're deep compassionate um the crew on jersey i have to say I'm a little obsessed with Walt, right? I think it takes a lot of bravery also to produce unscripted TV because people forget you're producing someone's real life and there are a lot of very sensitive yeah. issues that come up and the production people are the people that have to broach Yeah, those. and listen, I've seen my camera guys cry with me. You know what I mean? I've seen mm -hmm. like they're so intimately involved in your life and, and so you get so attached and I do find them so interesting and their perspective. Yeah, I agree with you. And behind the camera, and it's great. Like, you don't really see the people in editing. Everyone's like, oh, you're close with it. I was like, I never see my editors. Because exactly. they're, yeah. There's, like, so, they're there's the so many people behind the scenes. You're I have also been really that. grateful for the friendships I've made with the people um, that I've interviewed over the years. And they include not just the talent, but the people that are the producers and even the network executives that I've interviewed have become really good friends to me. And because of it, I'm now trying to move into production myself. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you what's and, next. I know what's next, but I want you to tell everybody yeah. else what's next because it's so interesting. I mean, you know, listen, you have five little kids at home, but you're so smart. You have so many creative ideas. So like, what's the, like, what's next for Kate Casey? 
Well, I would say that my North Star is the female story. I'm a women's college graduate and I have four daughters. I think women's stories are most important to me. And um, so I'm, I'm trying to create a show, right? Well, I've cast and created a show that we're about to pitch um, about female CEOs, which is really exciting. Um, and I have another podcast in the works that's separate from the one that I have now and a documentary that I'm working with a, a big television uh, production company on. And um, I would love to create some really interesting shows, docuseries that highlight incredible women, ideally, and women in sports. Because as I mentioned, the buckets of things that interest me, sports is a huge world that I'm really, really fascinated by. So um, I think there's lots of exciting things to come. I wouldn't mind having another baby, to be quite honest with you. Oh, my God. You would you have really a baby, baby hoarder. You are a baby yeah. hoarder. You love these babies. I mean, your I kids happen to be gorgeous, gorgeous, I mean, so it's okay. My husband's like, I think you have mental problems, but um, maybe if I could convince them, I, I, would, I wouldn't mind having another baby. I just I think that this, I will say this. A lot of women, not a lot of women, well, you know, sometimes I'm asked. I'm not going to assume, I'm not going to make it seem like, oh, a lot of women. But um, I find that younger girls, who younger girls, younger women who are about to have their first baby that are really stressing out about, like, how can I have a job and also be a baby? And the, here's the good news for you all, is that when you become a mother, you become infinitely more creative, a better multitasker a better boss, a better partner, you're a better collaborator. All the things that make you such a great mother will also make you great in business. And so if you can just admit to yourself, I'm going to fail at some things. Some days it's going to, you know, be, I'm going to nail it. Uh, I'm going to like hit it out of the park. And some days I'm going to fuck up. If you just understand that and accept it and, and, and sort of, lean into the things that you're good at, you will find that you will be extremely successful and be able to juggle it in your own way. And your way of juggling is different than somebody else's, but your life does not stop when you become a mother. It becomes mm -hmm. all the more exciting. And the greatest part about it is everything that you do, you are setting an example for someone else and you are going to raise a thoughtful, hardworking, creative, collaborative child in the same way that you are. And it will, and, and it will just keep on carrying on and the circle will continue. So well, your life will not end when you're a child. It becomes more interesting and you will become even, even more successful. And to look at your life in chapters, your life does not end in one chapter. You just start a new chapter and I'm sure I'm going to have three more chapters, but oh, life, for sure. don't, don't paint yourself into a box like I am this one person. Women are many things. And that's why I think you see the, 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 the head of New Zealand. She's the most successful person, politician in the world with COVID-19 because women are really good in crisis. We're really good at multitasking and we're incredibly empathetic people. We are. I absolutely agree. You know, and listen, so you'd have that baby. Because <laughs> if that's going to make you even more creative and successful than you are, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I mean, that's very, very impressive. Well, I'm so excited about everything coming out that you're going to do because I know about some of it. So I'm very, you know, thrilled. I think that's so great. I, I love I love this interview because first of all, you are like so caviar dreams, yes. which is you, you epitomize everything that I want on this podcast. 
And I think you're inspirational to so many people. Well, I would want to say one more thing is that, yes. oh, listen, I, like I said, I always feel like I'm at the bottom of the hill. I know. Believe me, I know the feeling. I always feel like, how much longer am I doing yes. this? When am I going to be successful? When, but I'm somebody who has, I've never had, um, I've never had the reason, like, I haven't had access. Okay. So I started as in, in the entertainment space and podcasting at age 30, 38, 39. And I didn't have a background in entertainment and I don't have a booker. I don't have an assistant. I am a one man band. I have an editor that splices my interviews together, but I have done all of this myself. And I didn't have, I didn't know people who worked its places. I didn't have a social media person helping me. I've done this all myself. So you can do it yourself and you don't have to say to yourself, Oh, well, I can't, I don't even know people in entertainment. So how could I even, st I started at ground zero and you can too. So if that means starting a podcast or starting a clothing line or working in financial services, whatever it is, it is possible to start from the ground up and to become successful. It's just about asking lots of questions, never taking no for an answer and always being the last person to leave work. It's true. I think you are. Yes. And I think people don't realize they think everything's an overnight success. And I'm like, there is no overnight success people. And it, it is hard work and everybody, you know, listen, you're not from the lucky sperm club. I'm not from the lucky sperm club and nothing's handed to you and nothing's promised. And, and I always say that nothing happens overnight. And it's, I would say mine was like determination, part determination, part delusion, because you yeah. know, I, I never thought I, I couldn't do it. It was never in my head. Something was, it yeah. wasn't an option, you know, yes. Have I made mistakes? Have I had failures along the way? But that didn't put me on the back foot. I was like, all right, it's going to happen. And, and I'm just going to push forward. And I feel like you are the exact, you know, kindred spirit, same way. P.S. When we go on tour, KK's is coming. With yes. Us, you know, well, for I'm the inspirational also, speeches. I was also going to say that I find that I try to replace, whenever I get frustrated, like somebody okay. else got the opportunity or I didn't get, you know, I try to replace that thought of frustration with an act of an act of competition. Like, but I'm not competing against another person. I'm competing against the universe. So it's like, oh, you tried to push me down. I'm going to come back even stronger. So don't compete other against other people. Com you're you're competing with the universe. So replace that feeling of like, fuck, I got overlooked. It's not going to happen for me this week. Um, I missed the opportunity. Replace that with like, fine, that's what you got for me. Give it to me. I, I'm going to make it up. I'm going to make it up to the top of the hill. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You are so right. Well, thank you so much today. For you. I mean, I feel like I'm like obsessed with this very whole interview. Inspired. I'm very inspired. You're very, very inspirational. Inspired. I yeah. love that we could do a face to face because I'm always calling her on FaceTime audio yes. late at night when I'm trying to, I'm like, why am I doing that? I you do like, that all the time. You're always like, why did I call on FaceTime audio? It's so funny. I don't, you know what it is? That's just the way it is in my phone for some strange reason. <laughs> you know, but it's, and I want everyone to know when I was in Newport beach, I got to hang out with Kay Casey. We ate in a great restaurant on the beach, me, you and Joe. So we've got, you got in the car, together. the car seats. Yeah, yeah so we sat in her car crazy. seats. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joe transatlantically fixed your plumbing. I mean, the guy is America's plumber. Yeah, he is. He's America's plumber. 
Joe, he works around the pipe in his pants. Okay. <laughs> I just literally, we're obsessed with you. And everybody has to listen to all Kate Casey's, you know, podcasts, reality life, Kate Casey. I like obsessed, right? I'm really, really, really proud of it. I'm really proud of it. And I hope that when people listen that they're like, why I never thought of that show before. And it's really the people behind the show. Like I just interviewed this woman who directed a documentary about autism and I didn't really know much about autism. I mean, it's just always something different. So television is not just one network and there are so many great shows out there and you can learn so much about the world around you. And, um, I'm eager for people to listen and, and, and hopefully you, you learn something and you connect with somebody that you listen to and then it broadens your community. It's true. It's true. You're the best. You're the best. Thank you. I I know. I just love you. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thanks for coming on. And you look gorgeous. Enjoy the, enjoy the cute family. Thank you. I will. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Okay, she's fabulous, right? Well, wow, wow, Kate Casey. I'm so inspired. Exactly. I hope everyone's inspired because, like she said, first of all, her mother, that married to a fucked up guy, basically. Yeah. And sent her to boarding school. school. All those chores. I mean, that literally sounds like something from Victorian times. Yes. But it obviously built such a sense of discipline. Yes, it built a sense of discipline. Mm -hmm. It worked on her character. Yeah. She's amazing. I mean, how do you ask about the Hershey? The, the chocolate because yeah. that was a superficial you know question yeah. but you know me I'm a girl who loves her chocolate oh, I love chocolate but I was so impressed I'm you know made friends with Kate Casey made friends we became friends when um I was on her podcast and I love the way she researches everything she has so many questions she's so smart she had given me advice she had reached out to me when um that freak called me an anti-semite and I didn't want to say her name and she's just so smart so introspective you know introspective 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 is that the right word yeah i want to say it correctly um and just everything about her is amazing and then yeah. she, you know she came to see me and joe we we're in newport and then we had a beautiful lunch together and just everybody should really listen to her podcast because she's interesting guests on and of course i was on there so it's great yeah yeah yes i was so impressed like her, the buckets of interest that she had that she's been able to hit those all at different points in her career and how she's like navigated and been so motivated and driven to like really achieve the things that she was always interested in. I mean, let's remember in. she has five freaking kids. I I mean, I have five. one. And then she wants to she wants to have another one. Yeah, I have one and I can barely get that. And she says she wants it inspires her to do more things. She I feel like I'm not really looking at the camera. Am I not looking at the camera? Do I just look up there? At, I always feel like I'm doing cross-eyed. I'm sorry, people. Um, but anyway, she just, she's going to be another kid. She's going to be more creative. Her husband's really cute. She's amazing. She's very, very inspired. I mean, I feel more inspired. So I hope everybody and else feels deep. more inspired. Yeah, very deep. I mean, I'm all about deep being inspired and, and feeling great and doing new things and, and just, you know, connecting with cool, fun people. Because you know what? Every, I don't like superficial shit. I don't care. Oh, and we didn't tell everyone where they could find Kate. So oh, yeah. What's wrong Instagram, with me? What's wrong with me? Sorry. Her Instagram is at Kate Casey CA. Her Twitter is at Kate Casey. And her Facebook is Reality Life with Kate Casey. Yeah. Casey with the C-A-S-E-Y. And all the info will be on our website, too. Yeah. She's she's great. I'm just going to love her. She is very interesting. I'm mm-hmm. so... Oh. I know. I feel so I feel good. like I had a therapy session. Yeah. That was, like, really therapeutic. I don't yeah. even need to meditate today. Okay. With that being said, 
We love you, Caviar Dreamers. Hope you enjoyed our show and stay safe and healthy. And we'll be back soon. You can find us at Caviar Dreams Tuna Fish Budget on Instagram, Caviar Dreams Tuna Fish Budget on YouTube for our video episodes at The Real Margaret Josephs. Yes, Real Margaret Josephs at The Life of Mrs. B. Yep. And keep dreaming, Caviar Dreams. Keep dreaming, Caviar Dreams.